My name is Nathan Forster, and this is Deeper and Wider, a show where we meet at the crossroads of Christian faith and all of life, from the small to the big, from the mundane to the profound, where we learn people's stories and their specialities, have conversations, and offer perspectives, all of which are shaped and animated by Jesus, his way of life, and the kingdom he came to bring. This show will be a resource for people who, deep down in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we have put it in, a kingdom that can permeate all of existence, if we allow it to. So welcome to Deeper and Wider. On this month's episode of Deeper and Wider, we are talking all things the Beatitudes, that marvellous opening section in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in our Bibles in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5. Now, over the years, there have been many different ways that this section of Scripture has been read. And yet, personally, I've been drawn into seeing the Beatitudes not just as platitudes, but as a bold vision of the good news. And yet... Also, I've been drawn into seeing that there are some practices that can also be drawn out too. And so to explore the Beatitudes today, we have someone who's been meditating deeply on the Beatitudes for many, many years. This particular person has been studying it from a contemplative point of view, from a scholarly point of view, and ultimately, as you'll see today, from a practical point of view. And this person is Mark Scandrett. Mark Scandrett is an internationally recognized specialist in practical Christian spirituality. He is the founding director of the Reimagined Center for Living Wisdom, where he leads an annual series of retreats, workshops, and projects designed to help participants apply spiritual wisdom to everyday life. His multidisciplinary studies in applied psychology, Family health and theology has shaped his approach to learning and transformation. A sought-after voice for creative, radical and embodied faith practices, he frequently speaks at universities, churches and conferences nationally and internationally and also serves as the adjunct professor in the doctoral program at Fuller Theological Seminary. His most recent books include The Ninefold Path of Jesus, which, by the way, is the book on the Beatitudes that we'll be reflecting a lot on today. But he also has three other books, including Free, Practicing the Way of Jesus, and Belonging and Becoming, Creating a Thriving Family Culture. Mark lives with his wife, Lisa, and their three young adult children in an old Victorian in San Francisco's Mission District. He loves walking city streets and discovering beauty in unexpected places. He is passionately engaged in sustainability practices and efforts to create safe neighborhoods for all people. So, without further ado, let us speak to Mark about the Beatitudes. Perhaps before we kind of launch kind of deeply into looking at um, the Beatitudes and perhaps the Sermon on the Mount more, more broadly, um, could you could you tell us perhaps about your your early faith journey? I, I, I want to get a sense of what perhaps your upbringing was like. Did you grow up in a in a, yeah, a church based household? Like, what did that look like? 
I I feel like I grew up in what I would call like one of the one of the better versions of an evangelical conservative mm. family. Mm. Um, mm. For a lot of people, faith was mostly about going to church. But for my family, it was very it was something we lived out day to day together. And so I have a lot of great memories of um, times around the dinner table praying and talking about scripture and the teachings of Jesus. And then my dad would create these little projects for us to try and live it out. So my family experience of faith was a lot richer than my church experience of faith. And Mm. and I I preferred my family experience uh, because it was so close to life and so honest and personal. And Um, I really have spent the rest of my life trying to chase after what's a practical Mm -hmm. embodied way to seek to follow the way of Jesus. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. And so you were, would it be right for me to say you were experiencing this embodied way quite early on then within? Yeah, I think the roots of it. Yeah. The roots Mm -hmm. of it were right there. And um and then I kind of launched off of that. I remember as a teenager expressing to my dad, you know, we follow this, we follow this homeless rabbi from the first century, but we but we gather in these fancy buildings with our best clothes on. And it does, I'm I'm sensing a disconnect between mm. the message and what what Christianity's become. And so yeah. that put me on a quest for a more primal, practical, radical way of mm. trying to figure out what it means. What, 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 what it means, what does it mean to follow the Jesus way to live in yes. his way of life? Yeah. Yes. And maybe, maybe unpack that, that initial journey a bit more. Like, is, is there a particular story attached to when this more embodied Embodied way of life. I think, I think it's, yeah, it started for me right away when I picked up the New Testament for myself and I started mm. reading the Gospels and falling in love with um, how wise Jesus was and the alternate way he, you know, like his countercultural teachings love your enemies, don't worry about your life, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And, um, this seemed like a different way of being a human being. And then mm. I tried out some of those things. I tried to imagine what would it be like for me to live um, as Jesus lived. I can, mm. And I could I start getting pictures of that, start, you know, and then trying to walk that out. Oh, um, you know, there's that kid at my school who sits alone at lunch and doesn't smell very good. If, if I'm trying to follow the Jesus way, I, I might be a person who would sit and have lunch with them. And so then I'd try it. And, yeah. and those kinds of experience were, experiences were self-confirming. Like, yes. I'm, I'm changing. I'm feeling really alive as I try to, as I try to um, model my life after what I understand to be how Jesus lived. Wow. Yeah, so those very early moments, and as you were telling the yeah. story, I had this sense of it's like, wow, it seemed it, even doing that sounds like a very daunting but beautiful way to go. Oh, what 
what's Jesus going to do in this present moment? Like what, what would it look like for yeah. me to be Jesus to this person and, and be present in this moment? There's something so primal yeah. and almost scary, but exciting about that as well. Yeah. And then I got discipled, which yeah. took me off the Jesus path. I got discipled as a Christian. So people mm. would, you know, the people who were walking with me um, were maybe a little more interested in my Deve- development of my theology or knowledge of the mm. Bible than actually mm. living a way of life. Mm. And so, mm. Mark, what do you think about, uh, you know, are you Arminian or, you know, or Calvinist and uh, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Like, oh, yes. And it was wow. like, oh, th- <laughs> these are important. These these things are important to these people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see what they have to do with what I've been reading about Jesus, but okay, I guess. Yeah, yeah I guess and, I'll have to pivot. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, okay. And yeah, and then and then as an early or to mid twenty something, I'm like, no, I want to go back to where I started. I fell in love mm-hmm. with Jesus and his teaching and way of life, and I want to, I want to chase that down. Mm. And fortunately, wow. I had a I had a friend who became my my wife, who also we we wanted some of those same things, and we started to as we were dating, experiment with a practical path for following the Jesus way, and you know invited our friends to try it with us, and um, yeah, so we've been having a go of it ever since, making lots of mistakes oh. and learning a lot. That's wonderful. I I I love how. I mean, there was always this primal sense of what it means to follow Jesus kind of deeply within you. And isn't it interesting? It was the distractions on these more abstractions that needed to be put to one side. Maybe I'm, I, if you don't mind, maybe just unpacking just a little bit, because I think it might dovetail quite well into talking about the Beatitudes specifically and, and maybe the Sermon Mount more broadly. But Maybe just to lay the foundation, I am curious, what what would you say is the relationship with kind of theology or to use the other technical word like orthodoxy with practice or orthopraxy to use the technical word? Where, yeah. where is the relationship for you two between the two? I think we've inherited in the in in parts of the world that have a Western enlightenment mm. um, perspective, we've inherited um a way of navigating our questions about meaning that tend to be primarily intellectual. And Mm. the thought is that if I get my thinking correct or, or clear, Mm. then everything else will follow. And, Mm. um, and I, and I really like, like I took that to heart. And as a young, a young person, I read, I read a lot of theology. I, I read read and memorized big chunks of the Bible. And at a certain mm. point, just learning more did mm. not, I know did not change me. I was yeah. smarter, but I was not better. And mm. um, I think there was a time when information was scarce, but that was in mm. 1500, not, not mm. now. And now mm. we have um, like, we have so much access to good information, good wisdom, good words, good content, mm. even good ideas about how we could practically live out a spiritual life that we can mm. kind of just camp out in the ideas and never get down into the living. Mm. 
And yes. so we, we have to, I think, make some intentional efforts to go. I, I've, I've gone as far as the Western mindset can mm. take me. Mm. Now it's time to add to that a more mm. Eastern or you could say like Hebraic mm. way of understanding yes. that um, truth is always embodied mm. and and has to be experienced as well as mm. cognated about. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm always reminded of the most profound truth of Jesus is that the that that which is truth is a person. It became enfleshed. Yeah. It became embodied. It wasn't truth is an abstraction. It's yeah. It, it's it's deeply embodied in in a person. And and I, I yeah. wonder if that then changes how we understand theology. I mean, I, I even though I still have a, a soft spot for theology, I'm deeply mm-hmm. theological. I love those topics. I mm-hmm. often do wonder if. The critique isn't so much theology per se, but have we done it within a Western, as you said, enlightenment mindset where faith is unfortunately synonymous with cognitive assent as to faith, as opposed to faith being like, you know, it, uh, the, the only metaphor I can think of is like during the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King Jr. No one was like, I'm going to cognitive assent to this movement. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, to, to give yourself over was like an allegiance and it was like a trust. You know, you, you trusted in the vision, the dream, so to speak. And I wonder, use it as a bit of a metaphor, you know, theology, the intersection of theology and practice, it's, it's when, when the two are actually together, even the idea of, orthodoxy on one side and orthopraxy on the other side seems to be a bit Mm -hmm. weird for me it's a bit fuzzy whereas actually jesus came to start a revolution and it was embodied and yeah to have faith is to trust it's to trust in his story of reality and if we do want to get theological it's it's trustful in into the life the teachings the death the resurrection Mm -hmm. and the eventual hope of his return and i think yeah yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm riffing a bit. I'm, I'm curious what you, what you're what's going on in your mind, even as I'm just well, saying. Well, I think of like I think Mark one fifteen is one of the best summaries of mm. Jesus' primal message. Um, mm. Times up. God's kingdom is here. Yeah. Dream up your whole life again, and live yeah. this out. You know, believe yes. the message. Walk walk it out. Yeah. So God yeah. is here. God is caring. God is making all things new. Mm-hmm. And you can be part of it. So that's mm-hmm. a message that you cannot sit back in your armchair and scratch mm-hmm. your chin about. That's a, that's a <laughs> yes. ma- that's a gospel that yes. w- makes you want to g- get up and be part of something. You know? Yes, yes, and it's so it's so inclusive as well. And I'll unpack that a little bit more in in one particular element. Um, not to go too much of a rabbit trail, but it reminds me of, uh, I think N.T. Wright, he told this story of this time where he, when he was Bishop of Durham and he did communion um, at a particular local church that had a significant population of Down syndrome children. And, you know, the children didn't need to know all the big abstract mm-hmm. theology. They had a simple childlike trust and they... In, in a deeper, more visceral way, their life was reimagined around the body and blood of Christ, that visceral element taken of the elements. 
And I think that's just such a much more beautiful vision. Um, mm-hmm. I only tell that story just to kind of add a bit of flavor to, yeah, it's you know, what does it look like? This message of repent, which is reimagine our whole life and then living into that. That's, mm-hmm. that's an exciting way of seeing our faith, I think. Well, and one, one, some of my language for it, um, mm-hmm. I wrote a book one time called Practicing the Way of Jesus. And the, the big idea was I had learned to practice, um, to, I'd learned to be and make disciples in a way that was more like mm-hmm. a college classroom. But if we were going to reclaim the immediacy of the gospel, uh, that Jesus proclaimed and experience it, then we'd need to move from the college lecture hall more towards something like a karate studio. Like yeah. J- Jesus was describing a way of life, a way of being being in the world with God and one another that mm. can only be learned through action and practice. Um, mm. He didn't come with an esoteric theory about the afterlife. It was come home, l- learn to live life mm. the, in the way that you were, cre- experience life yeah. in the way you were created for. And mm. um, so, so the practice part is really important. And that's mm. why at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts mm. them into practice is wise. Um, yes. So knowing, knowing what he said isn't really the point. It's learning uh, I, I like to put it like this, that spiritual formation is um, learning to see um, God, ourselves, and how life works in a more accurate way, mm. similar to the way Jesus saw God himself mm. and how life works. Like basically mm. it's a re- return to to what's real. Yes, to live in, yes. in greater coherence towards the de- towards the deepest reality. Mm. Oh, I love that. And you you did also mention the Sermon on the Mount, which I mean, how would you describe the Sermon on the Mount to somebody who has has never heard of yeah. it? Yeah, and that's a bit. It's a bit. Well, it's wait, so it's a it's big a, question a, as well. <laughs> it's some teach. It's some teaching on the hill. Um, (laughs) this, this is maybe the problem is like, uh, you know, my mentor Dallas Willard said it was, it's the best record we have of Jesus curriculum for Christlikeness. Oh, I love um, that. But it's 110 verses. Um, there's a lot of kind of ancient rhetorical techniques for getting the point across that are lost on a lot of us. Um, but, um, but I do think that Jesus is, lay, he's trying to lay out in the Sermon on the Mount, a picture of what life uh, with God life looks like mm. um, in a lot of different domains of our lives. And mm. so I, my, my hot take on it is that with the Beatitudes, they come at the beginning mm. and it's sort of um, what if the Beatitudes are like the table of contents for the areas of human experience that Jesus is going to address in the rest mm. of that message and is going to model through the, throughout the rest of the gospel. Right. Mm. Um, so, so each of those 
um, phrases from the Beatitudes points at a human ache and longing, something that's mm. common to all of our experience. And Jesus is sort of saying, I can show you a different way to navigate these, th- these experiences that, you, that you're having and, and help you find a new groove, a different way. Wow. Yeah, what a what a way to look at the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, often and like maybe zooming on the Beatitudes because I know you've done a lot mm-hmm. of deeper exploration on the Beatitudes specifically. Um, there have been obviously different theories around how people see the Beatitudes all throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and maybe just for our listeners, just because I know there'll be a variety of different people who'd listen to this podcast. And majority of them would identify as followers of Jesus, but some of them, I mean, the whole point of deeper and wider is that a lot of them are coming with these heartaches that there's perhaps more to a type of faith that they inherited, which, as you said before, can be very enlightenment-based and in the head and intellectual. Um, But it can also come with the baggage of particular views of the Beatitudes uh, and more broadly the Sermon on the Mount, which even the language of, doing particular things they'll go oh that sounds like work-based righteousness and obviously there's a whole theological paradigm that undergirds that um what are the different ways that people often look at the beatitudes which you would say oh maybe not quite and what's the way you're kind of looking at it i guess so so a couple of historical things one hot take Mm. uh from martin luther was that um, the whole Sermon on the Mount is a big argument for why we can't live like Jesus and we can't do all those things. So he's uh, the Sermon on the Mount is just an illustration of um, our sinfulness, and um, I don't think that squ- I don't think that has in- internal coherence because at the end of the sermon, Jesus says, "You'll be building your life on the rock if you." follow what I've just said. Mm. Um, Another hot take, and I think this is maybe one of the most common um, themes is that in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is calling unlikely people blessed. So that, Mm. that word he uses, makarios means incredibly fortunate. Like you'd say this person really has it going on. Queen Beyonce yeah. and Jay Z, like these are people who live on a a, a much higher level, and then mm-hmm. Jesus, so he uses that term Makarios, and then talks about someone who's poor and someone who's mourning and someone who's meek, and the, so the people listening are going, why is Jesus calling all these losers Makarios blessed, and that that would have been what they that that is one takeaway from those mm. from those words is is Jesus is saying no um what i'm sharing with you is not just for the privileged nobody gets left out nobody gets left behind wherever you find yourself you can say yes to god yes to life and step step into this reality. Mm. Um, I like that. Uh, it makes sense. Um, but I don't think that's the whole picture because I don't think Jesus would have needed to use nine poetic statements to make that one point. Mm. And only, um, 
and not all of those nine um, blessings are things that are negative. You know, there's nothing wrong. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. That's awesome. The pure in heart, mm. peacemakers. So, so those aren't necessarily negatives. And so I think that's why, I, and this might be artificial, but I think that's why I, I, in my book on this, I've used the Beatitudes as a frame for mm. saying, these are nine areas of life that the gospel mm. impacts, that, yes. that we can look again at and mm. learn to see and live in a new way. Um, yes. Another interesting one is that, um, it, that I partially ascribe to is that um, there's a progression through the Beatitudes that first, first you need to learn to, to trust, uh, be open-handed and trust God out of your sense of poverty. Then you need to mourn what's broken in you, in you and in the world. And then, you know, like, and so you, there's some competencies that are developed and mm. um, in our labs, a lot of times we talk about once we get up into the eighth and ninth beatitudes, blessed are you when you're mistreated, uh, <laughs> right? These are like PhD level. Like mm. you'd have to be pretty centered and pretty um, connected to be able to love your enemies and yes. to, um, to not to to choose to act with nonviolence in yes. the face of powers and things like that. Yes. That's like the black belt in the in the, the yeah. dojo or karate. Right. Yeah. Metaphor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and I mean this is a good segue because um you've obviously done a lot of work on the Beatitudes. And, and maybe maybe just Maybe just riff on that a, a little bit. I mean, I, I don't want to steal your thunder, um, but um, the ninefold. Am I am I getting it correctly? I'm terrible with, <laughs> with remembering things from three years ago. Yeah. We talked about the is it ninefold path. Is that is that how you? Yeah. Look so at, yes. at the oh, time, I don't think right I'd, there. Yeah. I don't think I'd written the book yet when we talked three years ago. No, you hadn't. But, you hadn't. Yeah. But I was working on it, and it's called yeah. the ninefold path of Jesus hidden wisdom of the Beatitudes. Um, oh, wow. So uh, I, in 2015, I got invited by some friends in London into this project. And they said, Mark, we love um, what, you've, what you've done previously where you looked at the Lord's Prayer and you created practices out of them for your community. And mm. um, we thought it'd be cool to do that with um, the Beatitudes. And um, and would you want to join us? And I said, yeah, this sounds awesome. And then I said, what this makes me think of was years ago, uh, when my first, very first book came out, a Zen priest contacted me and said, I think you're the kind of Christian that I could talk about. I could talk to you about what's going on in my life. And, um, he said, I had a Jesus experience as a teenager but that community that it happened in was pretty unhealthy. And there's so much emphasis on us deciding who's in and who's out. And it just didn't, it seemed to go against what I knew about Jesus. And it turned me off and I, my spiritual longings took me on more of an Eastern path. But when I sit Zazen, sometimes I hear Jesus calling to me and I don't know what to do with that. So we became fast friends and um, 
Inst- just as a quick aside, so I'm coming from where I was was at the time. I I think my job first is to snoop out. What does he believe about Jesus? And so I said, what do you you believe about Jesus? And he goes, um, he just pauses and then he starts to cry. And he says, I adore Jesus. Mm. And I, man, there was a lot to learn for me in that where like I had an intel, I was, I had an intellectual engagement mm. with this person this historical figure and he had much more of an uh, affective response wow um, you know and and he That's said beautiful. to me and then and then he repeated he said mark i don't know if you or your friends would like think of me as orthodox or if i'd tick your boxes on this stuff all i know is i adore jesus and wow. um, so we became fast friends and we went on a walk yeah. Uh, one day and I, I said to Shink, his name is Shinko. And I said, Shinko, I, I'm not that familiar with faith traditions outside my own. When you wake up each day, what do you seek based on, uh, on your path as a, as a mm-hmm. Zen Buddhist, when you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? And in about four minutes, he lays out the four noble truths and something he called the eightfold path. And he said, mm-hmm. so this is my understanding of what, what reality is. And based on that, these are eight things that I try and be conscious of as I walk through the day. And then he turns to me and he said, Mark, you, you're a follower. You say you're a follower of Jesus. When you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? Oh, zing. And, he turns it around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I, I was kind of stumped. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I, I quick said, well, I try and love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbor as myself. <laughs> and I sort of patted myself on the back, like good recovery, Mark. But <laughs> when I compared his answer and mine, mm. his was um, visionary and specific. And mine was pretty... I don't know. Un, it was not practical. How, like, how do I love God? And how do I love my neighbor as myself? Like, yeah. it didn't seem to have yeah. that much teeth to it. Mm. And I, I said, I, and um, I thought later, it didn't have, I think Jesus was clear about his way. It's just mm. that I'd never learned to pay attention to the specific instructions that he gave. Um, cause I learned to re read the Bible, mostly looking for this equation about my mm. sin, um, Jesus as the answer. And that was the, that was the, the, the lens I shoved everything through. So I just didn't learn to pay attention when I read scripture about mm. what Jesus was inviting us into. So I said to these friends, um, in London, I think this project might give us a chance to kind of put some handles on if somebody wanted to follow the way of Jesus, we could, we could use the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount to describe it in some detail. Like it gives us nine ways of describing what Mm. kingdom living might look like. And um, so that kind of formed the basis of what, um, what, 
what we started to work with. So we got together um, thought leaders from um, two or three different continents, um, male, female, Asian, African, American, Anglo, um, to start to talk, talk through what, when, when we look at these nine sayings, what comes up mm-hmm. for you? How do they think, how do you think they connect with our heart longings with, with, uh, structures of society and empire? Um, mm-hmm. where's Jesus pointing us to with this? And then, mm-hmm. um, we started to, yeah, went from there. Um, mm-hmm. so my, uh, a frame I felt helpful is, I think with the Beatitudes, Jesus is describing, first, he's describing um, the human condition and then pointing us towards a new posture for life. Mm. For example, Mm. the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor. Mm. Um, And so what does it mean to be poor? Poverty is when you don't have enough or you feel like you don't have enough. And so mm-hmm. our first tendency when we in, get in touch with that I, not enoughness is to mm-hmm. grab and grasp, to close our hands, to live in anxiety, in, in scarcity, in worry, and in striving. And mm-hmm. so Jesus is inviting us to make a pivot from close-handed scarcity to mm-hmm. an open-handedness that acknowledges yeah, wow. our need, but also mm. that there that that there are resources out there for us if we'll or if we'll open our hands and ask, mm. seek, and knock, and give thanks for what what we receive, and learn to share instead of holding on tightly. Mm. Um, so there's there's nine pivots, I guess. Um, yes, and obviously, I want people to go through your book and, and unpack it that way as well as through the website. Yeah, yeah. Could you perhaps just maybe do a, a very quick run through though for us mm-hmm. of what those nine are? So obviously you've done the first one. Uh, so yeah. Maybe just run through what, what they are. This, yeah. These nine. So the s- second beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are yeah. those who mourn for they will be yeah. comforted. Mm-hmm. Um, our first instinct is in the face of pain we want to turn away from it. And that's a coping strategy, right? You touch a hot stove, your hand gets pulls away. You see a young child sad and you want to comfort them and get them to stop, uh, stop crying. And we all find ways whenever we encounter what's most, what's, what's too difficult for us to face. We want to distract ourselves. We want to turn away, numb out. I, I think it's one of the things that characterizes our age is mm. um is this numbing distraction and with mm. this beatitude jesus is giving some really countercultural wisdom and say actually if you if you sit with pain not run from it you may mm. experience a deeper level of comfort it's mm. near it's near to you and this is where that kind of scriptural wisdom about lament and complaint and um, sitting in silence, um, mourning with those who mourn, like a lot, a a Mm. whole package of things there. Mm. Um, Third beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. So our first tendency 
And it's how we develop our sense of identity is by comparing ourselves to each other. Am I taller or shorter? Am I in the top reading group or am I in the lowest reading group? Am I faster or slower? Um, And we tend to notice those differences and then rank ourselves. Mm. I'm less than or greater than. And when we feel less than, some of us strive to get on top and others of us just sort of resign ourselves to being less than. Mm. And I think with this beatitude, Jesus is inviting us to move from a comparative, competitive, hierarchical understanding of our value and worth to shift Mm. from that to a more secure sense of identity that's not based on what we can earn or achieve, but on who we already are as God's Mm. beloved children. Mm. Um, Mm. And so that's a huge shift. Um, And there's practices that go along, you know, that flow out of this Jesus modeling of washing the disciples' feet and the interdependent kind of community that he was creating. Mm. Um, Fourth beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness or justice. And um, I think our first tendency when we look at when we look at the world and our its problems, I mean, you know, climate change, human trafficking, um, patriarchy, uh, the the growing gap in um, between those with resources and those without. Like, it's really easy to throw up our hands in apathy and say, what difference can I possibly make? These problems are overwhelming. And um, that's a, in psychological terms, we develop a learned helplessness. We've, we've given up on our sense of agency. And I think that particularly for this thread of the message of Jesus, we've actually, um, we've actually baptized the bad theology around this. And we say, well, the world's supposed to get worse instead of better because that's part of this prophecy and revelation. Or, of course, we can't do good because we're just miserable sinners. But that's actually not what scripture says about human beings. Um, Psalm 8 says we are made a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned with glory and honor. And Mm. a little later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So we're being invited to go from this throwing up our hands in apathy to a posture Mm. that really does assert our agency and power. We shape the world by our choices and we can learn to use the power we have for good, for the cause Mm. of love. And that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and, Mm. you know, um, all the, uh, you know, all those ways that we can seek God's justice and live out an ethic of love in the Mm. world and pray Mm. your kingdom come, your will be done on earth Mm. as it is. Um, the the fifth beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Do you remember being a kid and watching a TV show and wondering who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, (laughs) right? Very binary categories. Yeah. yeah, But from an early age, we're trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what is good, who is good Mm -hmm. and 
whether or not we're living up to those standards and whether other people mm. are. And mm. so when we see people making mistakes, we mm. point the, the accusing finger. We learn to judge and feel contempt when, um, when people don't live up to those things. And then we do the same. We do it even to ourselves. Mm. And um, with this beatitude, Jesus is inviting us from that posture of judgment to a posture mm. of grace where mm. we learn to see that we are received, we are held and beloved, and that if we can internalize that, that empowers us to let go of our resentments, to let go of mm. contempt, and to learn to see one another through eyes of mm. compassion. And this is why Jesus gave instructions about um Forgive, do not judge yeah. um, that flow out of that. Mm. You know, mm. the, um, um, the world doesn't work on tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It runs on, on grace. Mm. Instead. Mm. So, uh, a sixth beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Um, psychologists would tell us that at a certain point in our development, um, we become aware of how we're being seen by others and we have a tendency to feel shame. So that's one mm. of the things we like about being around little kids is that they, they say the thing no one else would say. They, they're wholehearted and just say, you know, I would like you to give me a gift or, um, you know, they, 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 they just speak the truth. And then mm. we learn over time to, create to fabricate a mask or persona because mm. we're afraid if you really knew who I am inside, would you accept me or not? And mm. so the problem with wearing masks is that if I'm wearing a mask and you're wearing a mask, we're not actually connecting. Um, mm. we're, we're only presenting these, these two things. And so, um, and I think we do the same thing with God. It's a, it's like archetypal. It goes back to Adam and Eve. Uh, they, they made a choice. It had some consequences, but they've out of their shame, they ran and hid from the one source of their healing. And mm. so God wants to meet with them. Yeah. Hey, I love going for walks with you. Wait, where are you? Adam, where are you? What are you doing hiding in the bushes? And so there's a sense that we pull away from even our creator mm. and, and, and try and get ourselves together enough to engage. And mm. um, what this beatitude points us to is it, to, to take off our masks, to mm. step out of the shadows and into the light and say mm. to our creator, uh, to a couple of trusted others, here I am warts and all. I'm going to tell the truth mm. about myself, trusting mm. that if I tell the truth and and step into the light, God's God's light heals, reveals, mm. and restores. Mm. And um, so it's a move from faking it to wholeheartedness. Yes. Yes. So the yeah. seventh beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called yes. the children of God. So I think our first tendency is to try and construct a sense of safety and security 
by thinking in terms of us and them, my family, my ethnic group, my nation, my footy team, and yours. And, um, and this is the cause of so much conflict in our world when we, when we live in this binary of us versus them. And mm. so Jesus is saying, that's not the most accurate way to see things. We're actually, mm. you're actually all part of one whole and mm. there are no sides. And mm. um, those who realize this mm. become peacemakers. They reach out, yeah. they connect mm. across differences. They mm. seek reconciliation with people that they've hurt and, um, mm. And, and Jesus modeled this in so many ways in the Gospels where there were people in his culture who were thought of as the outsiders, the scapegoats. And there he is hugging lepers and hanging out with women and mm. um, being engaging with the, um, the Roman um, occupiers in, in all kinds of surprising ways. Um, mm. The eighth beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are... Um, Blessed are those who are mistreated for justice. So mm. to a certain extent, when, when you do good, good comes back to you, right? Mm. You, you're friendly uh, or you help someone and they say thank you. But at a certain point, doing good and loving others will hurt. And mm. so the question is, what, what, what do we do? when we're not treated in the ways that we want to. And I think our first instinct when we're treated unjustly, you know, this happens mm. to me. I live in a big city. This happens to me almost every day. Someone I'm walking across the street and someone plows right through the intersection and almost kills me. And the first thing I want to do is tell them off, use some hand gestures to communicate my, <laughs> uh, my displeasure uh, you, you know, and retaliate. Mm. And with this beatitude, Jesus is saying, if, you know, I think saying that, that posture of retaliation mm. uh, perpetuates evil in the world. And it's actually str a more strong position to not fight back to, mm. um, to, pr to practice nonviolent resistance. And mm. to, so instead of fists up, fists, uh, mm. hands presented mm. Mm. Um, as if surrendering to be arrested. And yeah. obviously yeah. Jesus modeled this for us and taught about yes. it. Turn the other cheek. Um, mm. Don't repay evil for evil. So we're really, to do that, we have to understand, um, you know, th that, um, by surrendering those outcomes and acting mm. in nonviolence, we're casting mm. our vote for love to finally win instead yes. of evil. Yes. Um, yeah. And then the final beatitude, um, Jesus, and I know some people think there's only eight and there's, and the second uh, one has the, sure. the eighth one has yeah. two parts, but yeah. um, there's a lot of good nine numbers in scripture, nine fruits of the spirit and a few things like that. There's nine Enneagram types. And um, so uh, in the ninth phrase there, Jesus says, 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same mm-hmm. way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think that our first instinct is to, to live in a way that is self-protective. We think mm-hmm. of ourselves as small, separated beings that need to live in fear of of the danger that's out there. And that cowardice um, opens the door for strongman leaders, um, for going along with things when they're wrong, mm. because we're mm. we because we're afraid of the consequences of going against the powers that be. Mm. And Jesus, I think to, to really follow out the Jesus way, which is love, mm, mm, mm. when you love, and we see this archetypally in the life of Jesus, um, he lived out the, his way of love and mm. he ends up with people mistreating him and, and wanting to kill him. And mm. so um, we have to be prepared for that, that the trajectory mm. of following the Jesus way is a path of descent, not ascent. Mm. And the farther yes. along we go, the less understood we'll be. Um, mm. And so rather than being upset with that, just understanding that's the nature of the struggle that we're in. And yeah. I think what helps us stay in it when it gets hard then is um, realizing I am not a small separated self. I'm intimately connected to the Trinity and the Mm. wisdom and intelligence that brought this whole universe Mm. into existence. I'm not Mm. alone. And so Mm. that's why Jesus says, like, die to yourself. And I think I think he said, die to that small separated self that has Mm. has to protect itself Uh, and Mm. instead wake up and realize you're connected to the center of the universe. It's the Mm. heartbeat and the breath that gives you life. And so Mm. you can act with courage and hope out of that Mm. and love radically. Mm. Wow. And so so instead of the posture of Mm. self-protection, I got my arms stretched out in the shape of a cross, ready ready Mm. to die. Because I got nothing nothing to protect, nothing to prove. I'm safe. Wow. Wow. Now I I love that as you were telling me all of them this this thought this image this this sense of the beatitudes being a a type of invitation to become fully human or mm. or to enter mm-hmm. into shalom and by the word shalom I mean this this wholeness the wholeness of who yeah. we are yeah fully yeah meant to be integrated humans with with ourselves with God with each other with with the earth mm-hmm. around us as well in in some sense like to become the people of god ultimately i, I think that's a yeah. really beautiful way of articulating these beatitudes as a as a form of practice mm-hmm. which i think is wonderful so i think having a pic a picture like that in mind i've tried to paint it for you of nine mm. nine kind of postures of the kingdom mm. of god let's say Mm. Well, on any given day, I'm in this sort of back and forth between the old instinct Mm. 
mm. and the new opportunity to live in the deeper reality. Right. Mm. So, um, I often, I often in the mo- morning re- recite the Beatitudes and then I hold these postures while I'm mm. doing it and go, am I close handed or open handed today? Am I running from pain or am I facing what, what I'm being invited to face that's hard? Mm. Am I in competition and comparison or am I, am I living out of my inherent dignity and worth? And so mm. it's like a, it's like an attunement exercise. I need to adjust to get back to reality in these areas where I tend to fall out of kingdom consciousness, I guess. Mm. Wow. No, I love that. And I think, I think that's also just realistic about where we exist. We don't, we don't exist mostly on the main stages. We exist in the, the mm-hmm. troughs of mundane life and it's in mm-hmm. the daily choices of what type of posture am I going to have towards God, people, myself, my neighbours. And um, I think mm-hmm. these are wonderful practices kind of in that regard. And I'm curious then, like supposing the Western church were to take the Beatitudes more seriously, and and, and maybe this is more of a, the Beatitudes are a bit of a subset of the larger question of having a much mm-hmm. more practice-based faith. Uh, I am curious, just what do you think might change, especially in our world that we live in at the moment in the West, it's so divided, it's so fragmented. What do you think would be the witness of the church to live into this more? Well, I think we'd be more like Jesus <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> that, I, I think that's the answer, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I, I know where, where I live in San Francisco, mm. the biggest critique I hear of Christianity and historic Christendom is, Similar to what Gandhi once said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians because they're mm. so unlike your Christ. Um, mm. There, actually, I could answer that question more fully with a quote. Um, there's mm, a please. there's there's a guy named E. Stanley Jones who was mm. an American who lived in India and um, became friends with Mahatma Gandhi. In fact, mm. Jones wrote a book about Gandhi, his friend Gandhi. That is how Martin Luther King Jr. learned about nonviolent resistance and that wow. uh, Sadagira approach. And yes. um, it's a little known fact that Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount almost every morning of his adult life. Wow. So in this uh, little book on the Sermon on the Mount, E. Stanley Jones says, a little man in a loincloth in India picks up the Sermon on the Mount and takes one of its teachings and applies it to uh, an issue of human freedom. And the world challenged and charmed bends over to catch a glimpse of this sight. And then he Mm. says, it is important of what would happen if we would take the whole of the Sermon on the Mount and apply it to the whole of our lives. It would Mm. change Christianity and it was change our world. In other words, mm. you have if you have someone who doesn't even identify as as a as a Christian who simply takes those words of Jesus, turn the other cheek, do not return mm. evil for evil, and applies it, and mm. we see two like two countries 
changed because of it in mm. their life. What would mm. happen if those of us who do recognize yeah. Jesus as Messiah would take him yeah. as equally serious about yeah. his his guidance for how to live life? Yeah, that's that's incredible. And the nonviolence and all those other things. I mean, that's a yeah, what a profound vision. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think I think there is a a hunger. I think there is a, a generation of people. And by generation, I mean it crosses age groups. I'm not, yeah. not being specific to an age group, but there is almost a remnant, if you like, to to use that language of a people who are hungry for for this, um, for a mm-hmm. different way of being human that we find modeled in Jesus. Yeah. Um, that so goes beyond kind of the veneer of how how certain church cultures do it. And, I, and I'm not, I don't want to become that guy's like derail against the church or burn it down yeah. or anything like that. I, I, I come with a posture of, of longing and dreaming yeah. and, and hope, tremendous hope that we really got to take the Beatitudes seriously and more broadly, the Sermon on the Mount seriously, and perhaps more broadly, just looking at the life and the teachings of Jesus and, in the words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, putting them into practice and in, in doing so becoming yeah. wise. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's mm. beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so those are those are the basic ideas of the book. Mm. But the thing that I'm most excited about is that for the mm. last six or seven years, we've been getting groups of people together mm. and then doing a journey through the Beatitudes where we look at each of these um, areas at our first instincts, try and be mm. honest with ourselves mm. about it, and then take on some practices that might mm. help us live in a new way. Mm. And mm. so mm. I, I've been in groups with literally not, not one group, but like a bunch of different groups with hundreds of different yes. people where oh, we've wonderful. just seen incredible transformation happen as, mm. as we take on the practices together that might help oh. us learn those new postures and if people do want to find out about those type of groups where where would they go to yeah if you go to our organization's website Mm reimagine.org we're going to be doing another set of uh lab we call them labs around the Mm. the beatitudes starting in september so great great well i'll definitely join us yeah, I'll definitely direct people towards towards that. And your book, I'm assuming it can be found anywhere that books are found. Yep. <laughs> Is that? Yep. Yeah, fantastic. Sure it's available on Kurong. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely have a look and, and, and see. I would love to grab myself a, a hard copy. Sometimes I do e-books, but I think I would love to have something a bit more visceral in my hands yeah, there's with, even, with, with a, there's with even the book of an author I know. Ah, yeah, so yeah, I most definitely <laughs> need to have that yeah. have that on hand. Yeah. Oh, Grimes. that's wonderful. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I always thought to myself, if I ever wrote a book, I would most definitely need pictures. I think pictures, pictures are great. Yeah. So I think that's wonderful that you've got that. I think it might be interesting for some of your uh, listeners to know we yeah. kind of piloted some of the, our learning about this in Australia. Mm. And actually this is my friend Ronnie from um, Adelaide there or from Port Augusta in the oh, book. I remember um, this story. Lot, Maybe yeah, yeah, tell us. Lots of stories, yeah. lots of stories about 
um, our experience, we, I actually got a chance in what, 2018 to lead a retreat for some young Aboriginal leaders in mm. um, Adelaide. And we had a really powerful time over a couple of days wow. looking at the Beatitudes together and taking wow. on practices. And it was great. Oh, my word. Well, Mark, I'm so thankful for your witness. I'm so thankful for your work. I'm so thankful for you as a person and, and what you what you offer to the world. And just thank you so much for everything that you do. Ah, yeah. I appreciate you too, brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I could find, been... I could end our, I could end our time with a prayer on the, based Please. on the Beatitudes if you want. Okay. Please. I would, I would love that. Thank you, Mark. All right. Mother, father, creator. Today, may we live with open hands, mourn what's broken in us and around us, serve one another with self-respect, use our power for good, look with compassion, walk in honesty, reach past our differences, suffer for love, and live fearlessly following your way of radical love. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark, for being, being on the show. Yeah, great to be with you. <laughs> well, that was Mark Scandrath, everybody, speaking on the Beatitudes. And he has compiled his wisdom into a book called The Ninefold Path, which can be found wherever books are found and is also available in an audio book form. In addition to this, Mark runs workshops Thanks for listening with the team to Deeper over at and Reimagine. If you like what Reimagine. you hear, then please subscribe and where share and the team do learning labs that are designed to, get to, know to help me, you be then follow me on Instagram at Nathan underscore what is most real or look me up at NathanForster.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next that time. That can change your life and our world. Now it's global, so anyone can join in. They actually have one on the Beatitudes coming up in September. So head over to reimagine.org, go to the Learning Labs tab, and register your interest to be part of that. And in addition to this, there is, of course, Mark's website as well at www.markscandret.com. And I'll have all the links in the show notes. That way you can click onto that.